Welcome in once again, Women Really Mean Business, presented by Athena International, and I'm very excited. In the next three weeks, we're going to bring you three board members from Athena International in a row. The first one is Renee Williams, and she's in the nonprofit world now, but has pivoted several times in her career to end up where she is. And she tells us, among other things, you have to be smartly spontaneous as you navigate your work life. Women Really Mean Business presented by Athena International, episode number 82 starts now. Welcome to Women Really Mean Business presented by Athena International, the podcast that tells you the story of how women are impacting business one guest at a time. Now, here's your host, Jeff Bolitnikoff, with another successful woman and her unique business journey. Women Really Mean Business, presented by Athena International, and I'm always excited to have an Athena International board member with me. And she's not only a board member, but she's also the executive director of the National Center for Victims of Crime and a lawyer as well. There's not much that my next guest does not do, and we're going to welcome Renee Williams to the program right now. Welcome, Renee. Hi, thank you for having me. It's great to have you. And so let's talk about your background right now. And I know from talking to you off the air that you started out as a lawyer and you were carving yourself a very good career in corporate America and you had a shift and the shift happened to lead you to what you're doing now. So maybe you could give me some of your background and tell me your story and how you ended up in what you're doing. Sure. It is a long and twisted tale. I'll I'll try to give you the 30-second version instead of the 35-year version. I actually started out thinking I was going to be a theater major, and I was a theater major, and there's now a degree that hangs in my office that says acting. So I have a degree in acting, which is completely different than what I'm doing now. But I, I did decide to go to law school. And when I went to law school, I went with the idea that I wanted to be a child abuse prosecutor. But I found out very quickly that those folks, for all the wonderful and good work they do, it's a tough life and they have a quick burnout rate. So somewhere I got picked up as a corporate lawyer and was doing some business and healthcare work. And and I realized that while I enjoyed my colleagues and I liked my colleagues, I wasn't having fun at work and, and I didn't feel like I was making a difference. And I didn't really feel like even though I had the dream job and I had the job that everybody out of law school wants to get, I wasn't living my own dream and, and I wasn't living authentically so that I had to make the switch. So I switched into the field of nonprofit work. So talk to me about what you do as the executive director of the National Center for Victims of Crime. I guess, first of all, maybe talk about what your nonprofit does for folks and then maybe your role in specific. And by the way, I'll have to offer some congratulations. You were recently promoted to the executive director position. So congratulations, Renee. Thank you. Yes. And I will say I'm I'm still trying to define that role and figure out exactly what it is. And um, as we're doing this interview, we are in the middle of the COVID crisis. So, so it's been about two weeks on the job and it was right when the crisis hit. So I think that my role right now and with in the next two months will be much different than my role going forward, but it's, it's certainly been fun so far. Well, I guess as fun as this could be. Right. I mean, uh, talk about throwing a lot of challenges into what is already challenging at taking over as executive director of a big organization and then to have all this stuff piled on top of it. But we interviewed Andrea 
Connor, of course, president of Athena International, about the COVID-19 crisis. And she talked about how the Athena leadership model is uniquely suited to take people through challenges and crises. It is. And it's it's been great, I think, especially, and we're going to talk about this later, fostering collaboration. That's been huge, especially in the crime victims community and, and the grantees and the other folks that do pretty similar things to what I do. We've come together on collaboration more so than we usually have because of this COVID crisis. And it's, it's really turned out a few products that we wouldn't have had otherwise. By products, I mean ideas and thoughts and ways to move forward. And, and it's forced us to be creative in ways and come up with solutions to problems that we didn't even know we had, solutions that are going to carry us forward even once this is over. So I kind of knocked you off track a little bit there. And as people listen to this podcast frequently know, they know I'm Mr. Tangent. I think that's my nickname. So let's talk about the National Center for Victims of Crime and what you do for folks, and then also how you would like to forge that organization going forward, your vision. I know you're really in the early stages right now, but I'd still like you to comment on that, at least your initial thoughts on your vision for the organization. So the National Center itself has been around for 35 years, and our focus is making sure that victims have a voice and that they are supported as they go through the process of healing from their crimes. And most of what we do is actually helping advocates who help victims. So we help those who then help others and try to provide them with the tools and the research and the understanding and the education and the training that they need to really have a huge impact on victims going forward. We do some advocacy. We actually started as an advocacy organization, make sure the victim's voice was heard within the criminal justice system. That's still an important part of what we do, but it's been complemented by by quite a few other programs. My goal for the National Center is to really strengthen a lot of our national partnership and and make sure as we move forward that our voice is heard and amplified. The last 10 years, we've been a little bit quieter. We've had to do some restructuring. My plan is to continue to do a bit more restructuring of our leadership model and, and to make more partners in the field so that we're really making sure that we are producing things that both inform the Department of Justice, that inform policies, and that the victim's voice is heard within all of that. This is something I'm curious about, and I know that you're going to be able to answer my question here because at this point, I don't know what I don't know. So the assumption you make when you are a victim of crime is, is that, first of all, law enforcement will take care of you and then you're going to go through the court system and there's a mechanism so that victims of crime are taken care of. At least that's your perception on the surface. But the fact that a national center for victims of crime exists means that, and I'm just speculating here that some people are falling through the cracks. And like you had said, you need advocates. So maybe tell me about how people are falling through the cracks, if I'm right about that, and how maybe your organization is trying to maybe turn that tide. We'll be back with our guest in just a second. And if you're really enjoying what you're hearing here, why not get some extras from our guest? After every podcast episode, we have some fun questions for our guest that we give exclusively to patrons. All you have to do is go to the top of womenreallymeanbusiness.com and check out the Becoming a Patron section. For just $5 a month, you'll get extras from each week's guest. For just $10 a month, you'll get the extras and we'll release the podcast to you before anyone else gets it. Not only will you get great extra content for yourself, 
but you'll support not only this podcast, but Athena International as well. So again, please consider becoming a patron at the top of womenreallymeanbusiness.com. All right, let's get back into the episode. Sure. Well, not only are you right about that, but I think it's probably much more significant than anybody realizes unless they've been through the system themselves. What a lot of people don't realize is that prosecutors, when a crime has been committed, the entire criminal justice system is really focused on the rights of the defendant. And, and that's constitutional. That is what is written in our constitution. And that's fine. That's good. But victims really tend to get shuffled to the side. So from the moment a crime is committed, if a victim knows where to go, which they don't usually, they often face a barrage of information. They're not always ready to receive it because they've just gone through this really traumatizing event. So they're receiving all this highly technical information about where they can go, what they can do, what their rights are. But it's kind of just white noise for a while, oftentimes, because one, they don't know how to receive it. That's complicated by the fact that what most people realize is Victims' rights laws and victims' bills of rights are now nationwide, but that really just started probably in the 80s or 90s. That has not always been a thing, and they vary from state to state and jurisdiction to jurisdiction. And then not only do they vary, but in quite a few smaller counties and smaller towns and even larger cities, if you have newer folks in, they don't necessarily all realize the complete plethora of things that victims have available to them. So victims are just kind of constantly getting shuffled, compounded with the fact that prosecutors aren't there to represent victims. They're there to represent the state and the state's interests. So victims really have very little choice in the criminal justice system. They don't get to pick the attorney that represents their case. They don't get to choose whether to testify or not testify. They don't get to pick the charges that are leveled against the uh, perpetrator. There are a lot of places where the justice system really fails them. And that's what we were founded on the belief of was that we need to help advocates learn how to best help victims as they go through the system. So if I'm a victim of a crime, is it fair to Mm -hmm. say that part of it is getting me the resources I need and part of it's helping me heal? Correct. Victims of crime are responsible for all of their for property damage. If you've been harmed, you know, you are responsible for those medical damages and the medical bills. There are a lot of things that people don't realize, but yeah, it's, it's getting you the help you need, helping you get past PTSD, helping you. There are so many steps that have to be taken before the perpetrator even goes to trial, and then that can lead to a whole different set of re-traumatization. All right, let's talk about you and your career and how you have pivoted several times because you went to Point Park University as a theater major, and Mm -hmm. that's what you had said at the beginning of the podcast. Now, Point Park, for those not familiar, is a very serious type of broadcasting, theater type of school. And people that come out of Point Park, they do very well in performing arts, in broadcasting, all that type of thing. It would have been easy for you to take that education and go into one of those realms. But you then said, nope, I'm pivoting, going to law. Then you achieved your dream of corporate law, and you said, nope, I'm pivoting. I'm going into the nonprofit space. So talk to me about how you've been able to do that, the mindsets that you've had to adopt to be able to make such radical changes throughout your career. I think that I was always meant to be in the nonprofit space, and some of it was just finding my way there. I I went to acting school because I loved theater, but I did have the opportunity to live in Los Angeles, and I interned for The Young and the Restless for about four or five months. And when I was out there, I realized this is not for me and this is 
not who I want to become. I still love the art of theater. I love the craft of acting, but it is a lifestyle that it doesn't affect everybody, but it affects most people out there. And it wasn't who I wanted to be, which is why I went to law school. And again, the corporate law, I enjoyed my job a great deal, but I wasn't feeling the way you're supposed to feel when you're truly happy in a job. And I knew I wasn't using my talents to the best of my abilities. Well, there's a lot of things that you did there, though. I mean, you invested in the theater, mm-hmm. the theater degree, mm-hmm. and said, you know, nope, now, now it's time to invest in law mm-hmm. school. And then you said, okay, wait a minute. Um, now I'm going to go into the nonprofit world. Not that anything was wasted, but how were you able to, and I know, as you said, it led you to the place that you were supposed to be, but there had to have been a lot of doubts in there. Where How were you able to overcome some of the doubts as you kept pivoting your career? I don't know that there were doubts. And this is where I would say I would encourage young leaders, especially to not be afraid to follow a plan. And that doesn't mean throw everything against the wall and see what sticks or shoot into the wind and see where you end up. Be smart about each move you make, but be smartly spontaneous. I like I that. Smartly spontaneous. I like that. That's great. Be smartly spontaneous. Yeah. Think, think through a decision, but, but don't be stuck to a plan that you think you had to follow for your life. I've, I've made plans my whole life about what I thought I wanted to do or what I thought I wanted to be. And each time, you know, it's not that I've not been quite right about it. It's been that a surprise came. And, and each time the surprise came, it seems to have been better than anything I could have planned had I followed my plan. Well, last question before we get to our last few questions, which is, of course, is resources and then giving you the floor. But as an Athena International board member and somebody that's had a long association with Athena because you are actually recognized as an Athena Young Professional finalist. So I'd like you to talk mm-hmm. to the listeners that are maybe not too familiar with Athena. There's certainly people listening right now that are very familiar with Athena and the leadership model, but there's some people just tuning in for the first time. So maybe you could give people your perspective on Athena International and the Athena model. Well, I am, first of all, very proud to be an Athena board member, and it represents something that is hugely important to me. Um, Michelle Obama was describing Barack, but it's really her quote. as She said, Barack's never been the type of person to forget where he came from, and he knows how important it is to turn around and lift people up that are coming behind you. And I think that's why Athena is so important to me. Women are still struggling in business, and so it's so important that once you hit a certain point in your professional career, to turn around and help other women. So So I've had so many women and men boost me up my entire career that it is time for me to turn around. And and my service to Athena is part of that, is making sure that other young women are trained. The eight principles, I think, are important to me because they give some substance to females moving forward. So it's, it's not, hey, you can go do anything, you can be anything, because you can. But it's, here are eight models for, or eight principles for how you can make an impact and how you can be successful in your career. Well, we're going to put those eight principles on your show notes page so everybody can get them. You are going to be commenting, as you mentioned earlier in the interview, about foster collaboration. That is going to be a part of the extras. So if you, and I'm addressing the listeners now, if you would like to hear Renee talk about fostering collaboration and a couple other fun questions we have for her, then check out the top of womenreallymeanbusiness.com and sign up for our Being a Patron. And you'll be able to get extras from Renee and 
our other guests as well. But Renee, let's roll into our last few questions here. Uh, We're, of course, going to put up links to the National Center for Victims of Crime. But what are some other resources that you would recommend to people, uh, things that you feel may inspire folks listening? I read, I read a lot, and I try to read a mixture of great leaders, people that I disagree with. I think that it's important to identify people that you disagree with just as much as those you agree with and understand at least where they are coming from. So I just, if I see a biography, if I see a book on leadership at the library, I go to the library quite often. I still have a library card. I'm picking it up and reading it. Well, that's great. So one last question for you, Renee, and this is where we give you the floor. So I'm going to pass the mic over to you. And as you said earlier, it's COVID-19 and that crisis is going on right now. So I'm passing the virtual mic over to you. We're social distancing right now as we're doing this over Skype. So what would you like to say to the audience as you close out this interview? I would say, especially in this time, we've all realized that we have to do what's best and right for us, especially in this global economy. Everyone we've seen has advice. Everybody has guidance about how to be the best version of yourself, how to practice best self-care. Everyone acknowledges that Facebook and social media have have really made our lives how to keep up with the Joneses. And I tried very hard for a long time to do that. I thought when you said there's very little I can't do or have not done in the beginning, I thought, well, I can't bake. And Instagram reminds me every day that I cannot cook or bake. But we have to learn. (laughs) I share that with you. I I share that. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I have so many. What is it? Pinterest. Yes. Pinterest fails. Those are the things that really speak to me. But do what's best and right for you. If meditating every day isn't for you, don't meditate every day, but don't beat yourself up because you can't meditate every day. Learn what's best for you and practice that as your best self-care. Well, Renee Williams, Executive Director of the National Center for Victims of Crime and also a board member of Athena International, it was my pleasure to interview you and thank you very much for your time. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me again. On the next episode of Women Really Mean Business, presented by Athena International, Mary Maloney is a branding expert and teaches us that finding and communicating your purpose are vital to how people view your company or even you as an individual. Also, we are in the midst of three weeks in a row of interviews with Athena International board members. Mary is the second of three. We are very excited to have all three on, and here's a bit from Mary. What makes you stand out? And I really believe it's about being on purpose, knowing what you stand for, why you exist to serve. That's what's going to create the emotive response. That's what's going to create the enticement for people to want to work with you to want to move forward. We would love to connect with you socially. Look for our Facebook group, our Facebook page, and also our LinkedIn business page. Please connect with Women Really Mean Business, presented by Athena International.